Welcome to The Just Pod, a podcast by the Criminal Justice Section of the ABA, the unified voice of criminal justice. Welcome to this episode of The Just Pod. Today, we're joined by David Jaffe, Associate Dean for Student Affairs, American University, Washington College of Law. David is also a current member of the National Task Force on Lawyer Wellbeing and the Vice Chair of the ABA Commission on Lawyer Assistance Programs Law School Assistant Committee. So David, thank you for joining us today. Emily, thank you so much for having me and allowing me to share some of this time. I'm occasionally kind of asked how I've gotten into this area and where my passion is for it. And so I thought I'd just share a very quick story or two. The first one takes me back about 40 years to 14 years old. I wake up on a Sunday morning in my house, go downstairs to my kind of living room and find my brother who's 16 months younger than me lying on a sofa watching TV. About two minutes in, he points to the ceiling and says, OD. And I was, I guess, old enough to appreciate that what he was trying to say and what had gone on. I ran upstairs to my parents' bedroom and and found an open bottle of sleeping pills there. Somehow had the wherewithal to find my parents who were able to get home from wherever they were. My brother was taken to the hospital. His stomach was pumped. He ended up in a private rehab school where one of my older sisters was. And clearly he had been making some calls for help in an effort to be with his sister where he believed she was the only one in the family who really understood some of the issues that he was facing and going through. Flash forward about about 40 years or so, and this takes us right up to last spring, we unfortunately had lost a student here who was not to a suicide as best we know, but did die from a drug overdose. We had a memorial service here, and I spent a decent amount of time with the mother's permission talking about the student loss and talking about the importance for the rest of us to be open and communicative about issues that are facing us, that we are strung in or just really kind of hammed in and isolate when we're not working with others and communicating about issues that we're facing. I had one student come up to me afterwards following the ceremony, really in tears, and asked if we could meet separately. We went back to my office and the student between tears said, I'm a second year student, I'm doing really well academically, I've got a terrific summer associate job placed at a law firm, everything's going wonderfully. And then she paused and said, and I've been smoking pot almost every day for the last three years. And we paused and we took a moment together and we talked about, you know, she indicated she wanted to stop, obviously, to cause a change in her life. And we talked about ways to do it. And we stayed in touch. Obviously, she was a student here. And a month or two or later, before she was leaving for the summer, we passed each other in the hallway and she came up to me and said, I just wanted to share this with you. And she took a, she took a chip out. She, it was a sobriety chip. She'd been sober, I think, for a month or two months at that point in time. We stayed in touch through the summer, and obviously since then now, she's a third-year student, and she's doing terrifically. And these are the kind of stories that, you know, the earlier one, obviously, when I didn't know enough, certainly the path that I was going, but all the way through, different threads of stories meeting with students, and they're all just communications, different ways that students and individuals are communicating about calls for help, sometimes where they don't know where or how to ask for help, perhaps the former with my brother, and then others where somebody is ready to ask for help and not sure what to do about it. And that's really, I think, everything that I hope to share what we're going to be talking about kind of today and the work that I try to do on a, on a regular basis. Thank you so much for sharing those stories, especially the first one. It really personalizes this topic in a meaningful way, and it helps set the stage for the conversation in a 
really authentic way. So I really appreciate you sharing that with us and with our listeners. So for our listeners today, we're going to be talking about law student well-being to continue our series on attorney well-being. And we want to make sure that we're addressing the student component as well. That's the future of the law profession. And we recognize that there are a lot of pressures that law students face. And so today we're going to begin our conversation about those stressors and how to manage stress and what resources there are by first talking about a survey. Recently, there was a survey taken called Law Student Wellbeing, and the results of the survey were addressed in an article that has more recently been released called Suffering in Silence, Law Student Wellbeing, and the Reluctance of Law Students to Seek Help for Substance Use and Mental Health Concerns which obviously includes a lot of the highlights or the main points of what we're going to address here in that title. So we're just going to jump into it. David, would you begin by telling us about the survey? When was it hosted and who did you include? And what were the big picture findings? Sure, I'd be happy to. So the survey was conducted in the spring of 2014, was supported financially by the ABA Enterprise Fund and the Dave Nee Foundation, which is a suicide prevention foundation out of New York. We ultimately had 15 law schools participate, about 11,000 law students among those schools with about 3,400 respondents, so response rate of roughly 30%. The results, as you indicated, were published in the Journal of Legal Education in the Suffering and Silence article. And some of the major takeaways, a lot of folks, and those of you may be listening to the podcast, may not be as excited about data. It's obviously important to have information as a background for work, particularly in this area that student-facing administrators and others want to focus on. So a couple of the highlights. Around alcohol, we noted in the survey that more than 50% of respondents had drunk enough to get drunk in the prior 30 days to the survey. And again, mindful, this was a spring survey, so this wasn't like we were reaching students in the fall and perhaps they were, you know, during the summertime doing not a lot other than kind of partying and things like that. This was during the semester that this was occurring. 43% of the students had indicated that they had binge drank at least once in the two weeks prior to the survey. And so this is a series of drinking at one sitting and we differentiated for men and for women in terms of the number of drinks. So again, a significant number. On prescription drug use, we took a look at that. This was the first time that a survey focused on prescription drug use among law students. And we found that nearly 13% of the respondents who had a prescription had given away the prescription in the prior 12 months. Stimulants was the most frequent one followed by sedatives and then by pain medication. We also learned that more than 14% of the respondents had used prescription drugs without a prescription in the prior 12 months. Again, stimulants being the most frequent, followed by sedatives and again by pain medication. The presumption being that these were drugs that were being shared or provided by classmates or in some instances perhaps by parents who were making an effort to support their children. The most common reasons for prescription use, students indicated looking to concentrate better while studying, to increase their alertness while studying longer, and to be able to concentrate better during that time. Around mental health, we used a PHQ, which is a validated kind of questionnaire, a series of questions are responded to gauge where students are. 17% of the students screened positive for depression, and a significant 37% screened positive for anxiety with 23% of those students screening positive for mild to moderate and 14% screening positive for severe anxiety. 
18% of the students have been diagnosed in their lifetime, 17% of whom have been diagnosed since starting law school around depression. And for anxiety, 21% of respondents have been diagnosed in their lifetime, 30% of whom have been diagnosed since starting law school. So again, significant numbers. We had several questions around suicidal thoughts. 20% had thought seriously about suicide sometime in their life, with 6% having indicated that they thought seriously about suicide in the last 12 months, the 12 months prior to the survey. So we had this kind of use information, and then we moved on to help-seeking behaviors. What are students thinking about? What are they willing to do and not do? We asked both about alcohol and about drugs, and the numbers were similar. Uh, students indicated that if they thought they had an alcohol or drug problem, about 80% would be willing to seek assistance from a health professional. Another 30% were willing to seek assistance from a lawyer assistance program, which are programs that exist throughout the country for lawyers, law students, and judges for assistance around these issues. And a very small number, about 14% in each case, were willing to go to their dean of students uh, for assistance if they felt they needed it. We could circle back to that. But in the case of alcohol, only 4% of students had actually used a health professional for alcohol or for actually drug issues. So students indicated that they would seek assistance, but the numbers were that they, they actually had reported not seeking assistance in that regard. 4% around substance use, around mental health, about half of those who had responded that they thought they needed help. So 42% thought they needed help for mental health problems in the prior year, but only half of them had reported actually receiving counseling. So again, a disparity between numbers indicating that they might be in need of help and those who were actually seeking assistance. We asked about why, what were the factors that were discouraging seeking help, and the respondents indicated the threat to job or their academic status was the most concerning, along with the potential threat to bar admission. And that's something also that we can circle back around to. Certainly stigma is also playing a role. The notion of our students that they feel they're the only ones who are having an issue and everybody around them is doing fine. And so they oftentimes feel this shouldn't be a problem for me and it's something I, I should be able to handle by myself or I shouldn't have it at all. So a number of the factors that have been discouraging seeking help. And then finally, we had asked students about with respect to getting admitted to the bar, 44% of the students reported that they felt they had a better chance of getting admitted to the bar if a mental health problem were hidden, and nearly 50% reported a better chance of getting admitted to the bar if a substance use problem were hidden, if it were not reported on character fitness or were not reported something that was not raised with a healthcare professional or a dean of students while in law school. And then finally, 71% agreed or strongly agreed that law students do not seek help for fear of the professional consequences whether again that was finding employment opportunities or as related to the bar exam and the character and fitness component to it. So those were kind of the overall takeaways from the survey. Okay, that's a lot of information. Thank you so much for sharing that. We're going to circle back to some of those topics as you indicated, just for the sake of fleshing some of that out a little bit more for our listeners. So if something feels redundant to our listeners, that's <laughs> sometimes it's better to overshare and talk through those things in depth. But thank you for setting the stage and helping sure. us understand the problem and also sort of addressing some of those. I don't know if implied questions is the right way to say it, but some of those distinguishing factors that would be important to help understand the results better. So we'll get into more of those things as we continue. But let's go back to the sources of stress for law students and talk about what's leading to a lot of these problems. Can you help us walk through some of those stressors? 
Sure. So I'm going to break it into two parts. I think this will be interesting for the listeners. So there clearly are stressors in law school that affect our students, but I'm going to describe them more as catalysts. And I'll, I'll come back to that in a quick minute. Anybody who's listening to this, who's been through law school, who's going through law school now can identify with some or many of these things. Law students are saddled with significant tuition almost wherever they go. And this is typically expected to be turning into debt, oftentimes being compounded by undergrad debt for many of our students. So certainly a significant factor, particularly when coupled with what are my employment opportunities going to be? Am I going to be able to pay down this debt in an appreciable amount of time? So you have a number of students who come in who believe or hope that the type of higher paying jobs will be available to them so that the debt can be paid down. And as most of us know, we're talking about the private corporate law firm setting. Most of those job opportunities are typically going to the top 10, 15, maybe to the top 20%, depending on the law school being attended, which means that anywhere between 80 and 90% of a given class may not have those students in that employment potential, at least on the financial side. Students are making adjustments to law school for the first time, and these can be different types of adjustments. They're moving geographically, typically, oftentimes away from home or from a closer nest, maybe a close group of friends from undergrad. They're also moving into an environment where their classmates have been skimmed from the top of universities of undergrads around the country. And so that kind of competitive nature, whether it's explicit and really out there or under the surface, these students are now potentially for the first time with classmates, all of whom are really at the top of their game. And again, all who should be and are striving to do as well as they can academically. So the adjustments in that regard can be a lot. Certainly making new friends is always an issue in any environment. The language of the law is new. It is not only a lot of reading, but it is a lot of, not that there's a ton of Latin thrown in per se, but a a lot of new vocabulary that's taking place and a lot of just vying for the time management as a number of courses are coming at the student with the reading, with the need to be prepared in class, with the Socratic method and being called on for some, which can be another source of anxiety for students who are not prepared for that. So those can be a number of the factors. The reading, as I said, sometimes the stressors are the result of these can be isolation, It can be lack of sleep, and these are going to be adding stress when a student is not feeling well rested, when a student is not connecting with others. Smoking certainly can be a source of just not well-being that will be contributing, and also oftentimes eating habits, whether or not they've been well-adjusted while in college or prior to coming law school can also be a factor there. So I put those together as a number of the stressors that students can find once they arrive and find themselves in law school. But I would also pause and share that Based upon knowledge that I have here and speaking with the counselor that we have here who works with our law students and anecdotally what I hear from other counselors, the majority of students who actually meet with counselors while in law school are typically not raising the issues that I've kind of enunciated here. What they're typically raising are issues that are more personal in their lives that have not been addressed, perhaps are coming to the surface for the first time. These can be interpersonal relationships. They can be family issues, oftentimes tied back to parents and youth and things of that nature. Again, relationships that maybe are not going well, particularly as one moves into law school, you may have a spouse or a significant other, a partner was not prepared for the adjustment that the law student is taking in terms of needing the additional time. So oftentimes the stressors that are actually coming up are very personal and close to the student. 
and the catalysts are these additional factors that are kind of hitting these students between the eyes, the additional workload, the reality that this is probably finishing school, meaning that the students are not going on to another school except in very rare circumstances, are not gonna be earning another degree, and so that the grades are important and the looking for the job is important. So these are all kind of adding to some stressors that perhaps have already been there for the student, but have not really come to the surface. And then as these other factors are increasing some of the anxiety and potentially some of the depression, it's really bringing to the surface some of the issues that have not previously been addressed. Yeah, I confess when you were sharing some of the results from the survey, one thing that really stood out to me was when you indicated that there were parents that had been giving prescriptions to their children in an effort to support them in theory. And I just thought to myself, that's really concerning that a parent would give either a stimulant or whatever the prescription is to their child for performance. And I, that definitely indicates that there could be interpersonal relationships that need to be addressed just on that level, of course. Right. And, 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 yeah. right. and certainly well-intended individuals, parents in this case, we, we depending on one's generation, I've uh, often felt that this pendulum swung from a couple of generations ago, where if a principal or a teacher called a parent into school, and now we're talking elementary, secondary school, and kind of said, you know, we think your child may be suffering from ADHD, maybe some kind of, you know, behavioral disorder, whatever it might be, that the parents would lash back out at a teacher or principal, you know, how dare you accuse or suggest that my child is anything other than perfect and doing fine, which was unfortunate at that time, particularly when it was a caring administrator reaching out. And I think over time, the pendulum to the good largely has swung more towards if there's something that can help my student and there's something that's being identified, of course, we want to do whatever we can to be able to provide assistance to our loved one, to our child, et cetera. But then the question becomes, how informed are we? And are we, you know, staying on the good side of doing good versus really, you know, going to an area that we're not educated about and familiar with and perhaps doing some real damage over the long haul? Right. I'm sure not malicious intent, but also it could indicate the expectation of performance that could also lead to higher levels of anxiety and meeting others' expectations. And maybe I'm inferring too much, but that's something I was sort of hearing as you're indicating some of the results and what's leading to these behaviors and the stress, whether it's expectations from their loved ones, their teachers, what they think their future employers expect. And so there's a lot of managing expectations, it sounds like. I think that's right. And I never like to paint any class of students with a broad brush, but law students as they go are generally described as type A. They're Mm -hmm. naturally competitive. They expect to be at the top of their game. They will be aggressive in their approach, not necessarily negatively, but there are a lot of factors that when it comes to looking at some of these stressors and potentially resulting anxiety and depression and reliance on substance use and on substances and alcohol and things of that nature, it can become a very daunting and isolating process when these other challenges are arising that I'm supposed to be at the top of the game. I need to prove myself to my parents who may be putting out the money for law school. I need to prove myself to my others that this is something that I can accomplish. It's, it can be very heady at the end of the day. Yeah. So this question bears a little redundancy, but I think it's important to address for clarity. What is the impact of these stressors? So the largest impact, and at least the most debilitating, in my view as a dean of students, is a student's tendency to begin to isolate 
it's usually a result of anxiety that they cannot get under control and oftentimes coexisting with or leading to depression. I feel like I'm falling behind. I'm in class and it seems like everybody around me knows what's going on. They're nodding along or they're volunteering answers. And I feel like I'm the only one who is not getting what's going on. And rather than seeking help, it must be me because nobody else seems to have any issues. And so I start to kind of turn inward. I maybe am socializing a little bit less either because I feel like I'm not up to the level of my classmates and or I feel like I need more time to be able to get caught up to this perception of where it seems to be my classmates are. That's also gonna result in sleeping less. If I came into law school with decent sleeping habits, those oftentimes will start to go away as I feel I need that time for study. And that in turn will also give way to the eating habits that I referenced a little while ago that I'm grabbing you know, fast food and things like that because it's just easier to get something quick, which means I'm not taking care of myself. Exercise is oftentimes something that is also very quick to go. And so you take all of these kind of together and kind of the resulting impact is that this sometimes happy-go-lucky, excited law student, optimistic about everything to come, is all of a sudden falling a prey to all of the things that are not going to serve him or her well and really very quickly lead to kind of a spiral, not seeking any assistance. I'm spending more time with myself and by myself, and I'm not doing any of the positive things that I need to be to just be a living, thriving human being. And these things sometimes can happen gradually, but sometimes can really compile one upon the other and really turn around and occur in a, in a fairly short period of time. I'm often surprised when we see the law of diminishing returns playing out in people's lives. You know, if I could rewind time, as a grad student, I would tell myself to sleep more. Absolutely. Even as an undergrad, like if I could rewind time, that's something I have learned as an adult that, you know, that economic principle of the law of diminishing returns does apply to us in this respect, especially with sleep and those sort of things. And also, you know, at a certain point, the studying will start to hurt you if it is getting to that point. So I can attest to that myself as a former student. It's just surprising that we don't seem to get it in the moment because we pull the weight of that pressure too much. Right. And and you raise also a very important point. This is not, although we're speaking about law students and, and what is affecting law students and what they might be able to do, law schools have a role to play as well. They absolutely do from professors through to administrators, particularly the student-facing administrators, the student affairs office, the registrar's other offices. And by and large, it's about being sensitive to and aware of the students when they're coming in contact. Sometimes it's just poor interactive skills from a student that might just be learning skills, but sometimes the innocent question that's being asked is really masking something deeper that's going on. And so the kind of, you know, the glib answer or, or maybe even a more, well, gee, if you're going to be, you know, immature and unprofessional with me, maybe I'm going to act the same way is, is really not going to be helpful. But sometimes there's space to take a breath and say, you know, do you have a minute? Is there something going on? Because, you know, this seemingly benign question or issue for which you came in, you know, really seems to be bothering you. Is there anything else you'd like to talk about? And for student facing administrators, it's kind of what we're tasked and charged with. And we get, you know, better at it probably each year and each semester as we meet with more and more students. Faculty can be more of a mixed bag. I think they all care and are well-intended, but by and large, they have been hired to teach and the kind of appreciation for a student well-being can sometimes be a little bit harder to come by. And so I think it's important for deans of students and others to remind faculty, whether you're sending out periodic emails or maybe doing a pedagogy session where you bring faculty together, 
and remind them, one, how much their students look up to them, how they really are up on this pedestal and being viewed by their students as such, and that they have an opportunity, and I would dare say in a lot of cases a responsibility, to remember that their students are looking at them that way, and that while they are there as teachers, teaching you know, can be broadly stated. And so to me, the ideal professors and different faculty to go about this different ways, but some of them will start a class with a breathing exercise, which I think is incredible, even a couple of deep breaths, just to kind of say, you know, I know you're coming out from lunch or from another class or from maybe a hard weekend of studying or whatever it is, let's take a couple of breaths together and just kind of get ready to enjoy this class. Obviously, office hours are important, but those office hours can also be an opportunity to say, how are you doing? How are things going generally? And I will tell you, and any faculty member who has done this will nod along in assent, the more engaged you're able to be with your students in that regard, kind of beyond the curriculum and the teaching, the more they're not only going to respect you, but really appreciate and have an ability to have their ears and their mind open to the teaching that's going on and the respect that you're showing them in the process. Thank you for that. Well, that's all we have time for today, so we'll have to continue this discussion another time. But thank you again to David Jaffe for joining us, and thank you to our listeners for joining us on this episode of The Just Pod.